Cut the crap. How many times a day do you want to say that to politicians, the elite, the loony liberals, the fake news media, and the gender-confused, emotional, socialist, snowflake crowd? Cut the crap is your secret weapon for fighting for our freedoms and our great republic. It all begins with a massive mental enema, freeing you from the toxic news and politically correct views, which constipate your consciousness with stinking thinking. Your host, Joe Von Hutton Pulitzer. He's known for calling out politicians and telling them to cut the crap. You've seen him on virtually every television network and listened to him on Coast to Coast Radio. And now he's here to help you learn to fight for America. Culture, race, and American politics, they all have one thing in common. They all need to cut the crap. Now, here's your host, Joe Von Hutton Pulitzer. Good morning, everyone. Um, here we are, another day. We're at it again. And I felt the best way for all of us just to begin this day, begin this new week, is probably just having a simple conversation. Yeah, do you notice my hair is fluffy today? When my hair gets to a certain length, uh, my jew curls start coming out. Yes, I have incredibly curly hair. And if I keep it short, it kind of, it'll give you the illusion it's straight. But I have big old soft ringlet Jew curls. And yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to have to shave my head or whatever again to keep it short and neat. Otherwise, you know, I, I look like the Jewish mad scientist I am. I'm just not ready to embrace that yet, right? When I, when I put on what I call my Jew glasses. <laughs> and when I let my hair go, which is kind of what let, lets my hair fly. And now that I'm turning gray in a very serious way, I'm telling you, I, I am the, I'm the Albert Einstein Jew curl. I, I actually think about that. You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I, I'm wondering if soon I'm going to have to, uh, embrace my Jewishness, right? To just embrace my Jewishness. I can't, I'm not going to get away from it. Uh, my, my beard's going white. My, 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 eye. now I don't have many eyebrows to begin with, right? I don't know what it is. My eyebrows are turning white. My head hair is turning white. And even my ear canal hair. <laughs> is is turning white. And so I'm wondering if if soon in these days you're going to see if I'm just going to have to embrace it and become the Jewish old man that I <laughs> that I am, right? Uh and just let it go. Hey folks, by the way, those of you that are in uh Canada, or not Canada, what the hell am I saying? Somebody wrote Santa my mind transliterated. Somebody on, on Rumble said, yeah, you can play Santa. That would be nice. Did you know that if that if you look like Santa, they say you're the most universally accepted person there is if you look like Santa? I, I thought that was interesting. Anyway, for those of you guys that are in Florida, did you uh, know 
that uh, I guess late over one of the weekend nights, did you hear the big sonic boom? Are any of you in Florida that heard the uh, massive sonic boom that occurred over uh, Florida? They said it shook it shook windows and did all kinds of stuff. Let me show you what's going on. It is, uh-oh, where'd it go? Hang on. Oh, diggy dang it. What did I do? Hold on one second. Uh, somehow I blew out my overlay um, so I can show you. There it is. Check this out. I had no idea. Um, but did you know that Space Force and everything was up in the air? This is ev evidently Boeing's X-37B space plane. And it has been in space for 900 days. It's uh, some sort of exercise between the United States Space Force and Space Force Mission. And it's not so secretly, although they say it's secretly, not so secretly returned home over the weekend. And it was one of the biggest sonic booms uh, recorded. <clears throat> Said it was heard from Jacksonville to Orlando. And everybody was kind of freaking out about what it is because there were no announced flights. And it's because this was a super secret mission up there for nine, uh, 900 days. And everybody's door, ring doorbells and all that stuff uh, caught, uh, caught it. But it was a, a mission. This is an un, unmanned shuttle. It's a test vehicle. They call it an OTV, an orbital test vehicle. And it stayed up there 900 days. We'll just kind of call it, you know, that's, you know, uh, well over two and a half years, roughly. And it did all kinds of uh, tests and et cetera. And it has to do this kind of weird aerodynamic flip when it comes into the, uh, our atmosphere, right? Um, and I thought that was very interesting. Do you, do you remember where you were when the, I remember where I was when the first shuttle blew up. Uh, I was in the office. It was uh, Fit for Life, the diet books, which I had worked with. Appearance. It might have been the Michael Douglas show. Remember Michael Douglas show? Or maybe it was. Hmm. Anyway. That was the day the first shuttle, the Challenger, exploded. I remember that. And then the last one that went up, uh, I was with my son. I had um, just went out and, and fed my buffalo. This is at the time when I lived in Texas on my ranch. And I remember just, boom, hearing it. And... All of this weird uh, EPS, that's uh, styrofoam. That's what they put in between the panels and stuff. It kind of came snowing down uh, from the atmosphere. You could see it everywhere. And then when we found out what happened um, and knew we were in flight path, we actually got out with crews and stuff, you know, bagging and tagging things and, and, and found a few of the pieces you know, chasing them down through East Texas and stuff. 
and I still have the pictures where you, you know, put the little flag marker flag over it and turn a bucket over it. And you're looking at every piece of debris to try to figure out what happens. I remember I was thankful for a, a friend of mine, Bill Boyster, uh, who was at the time or just had been, you know, chairman of NetStream Jets and stuff. And he had been offered the position uh, to run NASA and well qualified, but that would have been his disaster. But do you remember where uh, you were when that happened? Right. And that particular boom was so loud. Most people don't know that Buffalo have a high vertical leap. They don't know that. And they're extremely dangerous to your horses. They're just, you know, over time uh, became a horse's mortal enemy. But they were in my arena. I had them there. And they jumped, jumped up and over my arena. They just straight up and over and they were gone. They didn't stop through the fences or anything. So it was really, uh, really interesting day. And I think I find it fascinating that we may have mastered space travel coming back and forth. And of course, those of you that have known me for a while know that uh, part of my nogging I was using to figure out for the Mars mission, how do we keep our astronauts safe? Because most people don't know this. Do you know that they only monitor the astronaut's heartbeats? That's it. That's it. You know, they go through all of this care and everything else to put our guys and gals in space. And about the best we can do, best we can do is monitor their heartbeats. But it's interesting. Uh, what would actually kill uh, an astronaut in space, especially long-term going to Mars, is the fact that you start losing bone density, right? The gravity starts lightening your bones. Two things, it stretches you out, but it also starts leaching your bones and calcium and stuff. And the calcium has to go somewhere, so it basically goes into your bloodstream, etc. And so the danger in space is actually, believe it or not, kidney stones, right? Kidney stones. And so they can uh, accumulate like BBs in your body. And if you get a kidney stone in space, um, the unfortunate part of that is it can just rip right through you. Kind of like, you know, so Gordon Weaver, alienist, and go right through you. And so I had developed a process by which between, you know, missions to Mars and Earth, we could monitor what was happening in the astronauts' bodies with that particular thing and watch the levels in their urine, which we're recycling anyway, because they're, where do you think the water comes from in the space shuttle? So it's completely being recycled anyway. So I developed a idea a way in line, we could do it and we could see that happen. So I'm, I'm really fascinated with space travel. It's one of the things I did as a kid. I can't tell you how many stupid little BS phony telescopes I've made. And I would sit outside in my backyard, staring up at space all the time. So for those of you in Florida, right, uh, the mission, this was the USSF-7 mission, experimental mission. They were just testing payloads. Uh, and the long-term uh, effect of space 
on seeds. Yeah, space on seeds. If you're going to eventually colonize, uh, like Elon's working on saying, you know, colonize Mars, Mars and trying it out, you have to understand what space does in the weightlessness, travel, et cetera, to things as simple as seeds. You never know till you do it. So that's part of what this mission was. Just a question for you. If you had a chance to go to Mars, would you do it? If you were chosen, if our government reached out, and I'm interested, just put your put your answer in chat, but would you... If you had a chance, would you take a seat upon the trip to Mars? Knowing there may be a really good chance you're not coming back. There may be a really good chance, you know, from the time distance or the retrieval distance that everything you kind of know on Earth would go. Would you do it? If you had a chance, interesting, people are saying, no, 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 never, no, my kids need me, no, never, I like it here. Uh, It's interesting, very interesting. I would. There's another one that says, I would. Why would I do it? Here's why I would do it. I would do it for the science of it. I would do it for the experience of it. I would do it, and I know this will sound really weird to you, I'd do it in uh, what would be a feeble attempt, truly, to get closer to God. I'd, I'd do it to just to know that we as mankind can do such great things. And if I go, if that was the way that I was supposed to check out, so be it. However, there's just an equal amount of chance that with my Jewish hair curls and gray and as it is eccentric and weird as I am, that they actually need a brand new Doctor uh, Who replacement and I could be it. And I'd do all kinds of weird stuff. <laughs> By the way, every every now and then, just to just to relax and get away from this election stuff, I'll watch old Doctor Who reruns of that British show <laughs> because it's so incredibly stupid. It's great. Anyway, folks, good morning. Um, I just decided, you know, we really should just kind of chat because there's just times in all of this mess that we just need to kind of. you know, uh, express ourselves. And so I want to give you a chance in chat to ask the uh, uh, questions you want to ask, because I know every one of us are on election burnout. But I want to assure you what you're seeing is only a indicator behind the veil that when you really recognize what you're looking at, it it's a gift, right? It, it, it is truly a gift. 
And I'll give you an interesting way to, to look at it. Because we're all burnt out on all this election stuff. Number one, you have to understand, in this chaos, the thing that's kind of valuable right now is clarity. And we have to gain some clarity. I encourage you in many ways, and I did this myself, I encourage you to get into your suburbs, your near suburbs to your downtown and kind of look around and look and truly look at the wealth that the United States of America has. And when you look at that, you understand that I do not believe in any form or fashion that our United States of America is going away. And and here's here's my reasoning for it. When I I'll, I'll drive through the suburbs, I'll drive to the houses, look at look at our buildings, look at our shops. There's such wealth compared to other countries that the United States of America has that other countries don't have. I realize that would be a very, very hard thing to do to basically kind of throttle down and get rid of the United States of America. It would be exceptionally hard to happen because the entire economic engine would collapse. I believe America is the economic engine. And so when I just put my thoughts to it, I go, okay, if, it, if this is a big, bad, evil cabal, would you really shut down the economic engine that makes everything drive? Because even the cabal needs money to operate. Even the cabal, even if they, you know, start taking over neighborhoods, uh, start, uh, you know, repossessing homes and buildings. Have you ever thought about that, that blueprint that it would take to operate? Just the energy needs of keeping those buildings and stuff going. Let's say that the evil cabal wants to kibosh everything, wants to make everybody's houses foreclose. So the black rocks of the world can gain any, everything. And um, shut it all down and they own the houses. Okay, well, let's say they, you, you, you're thinking a lot. They're going to shut it all down and close the houses. Number one, the moment you start cutting off the power uh, to the... houses and stuff, you know, they immediately start to decay. The, the houses just start to fall apart. When, when they're not being taken care of and lived in and people there, it just kind of uh, starts to fall apart. Now, when everything starts to fall apart, I want you to remember something else because everybody's talking about, well, there's, you know, with the with the pandemic and all this stuff, there's all these other billionaires and shit, 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 shit and all that other stuff. I want you to understand something. Okay. 
a billion dollars means nothing, nothing in an economic collapse, right? Nothing in an economic collapse. I have seen billions of dollars of cash, billions of dollars of cash stacked on pallets of Iran's money. And about all it's worth is, well, it's not even good toilet paper. The dollars aren't big enough. And so I even want you to understand a billion dollars in an economic collapse is not anything. Remember Venezuela, in the midst of their crisis and stuff, you would have, you know, it would be hundreds of thousands of dollars for stupid stuff like a loaf of bread because the money was so far devalued. And so I want you to think about that for a moment because it's one of the things that, uh, that allows me to stay sober, and I mean that mentally, in this mess. It allows me to stay sober in it to understand it's just not what it seems. And then when I look at all all of the big company, big oil companies drilling contracts, the big companies drilling contracts are going through the roof, are going through the roof, right? If everything was being shut down from even a petroleum standpoint, right now it's a synthetic strangle, those massive companies drilling contracts would not be going through the roof. They're not sitting there watching TV or listening to the news like we are, folks. They're right in the thick of it. And so drilling is going up, right? And their contracts are really expanding. So oil's not going away. And so what are we what are we witnessing? What are we truly witnessing? If everything goes into total freaking collapse, there's nothing for the cabal or to fuel the cabal. Think about it. You could own 10 million acres of land that you repossessed, like it could be done in the middle of the heartland of Africa. But if you don't have systems, peoples, machinery, mechanization, oil, everything else, you have nothing. Can't do anything with it. Okay, great. 
Uh, you'll fly your plane over it for a while. People will be squatting on the land. Uh, okay, your little fiefdom or whatever, right? Little fiefdom going on. But eventually, you too are going to run out of money. You're not going to have anything. So what's the point? What's the point? And by the way, they would have a shitload of angry people on their hands. You're right. So let's just, in a very linear fashion, think this through. What good would all of these houses and all of these buildings and retail shops that we have and all of the footprints and malls and shopping centers and everything else, what benefit would that have to a cabal or ruling party if, in fact, everything was totality in a total global collapse? And the answer is it would have no value. They would just be owners of space, meaning land, buildings, that has no value, no use. Wouldn't mean crap. Wouldn't mean anything. And yes, they'll come in and try to buy it cheap. They'll 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 bank on they'll bank on bankrupting you out of your house so they can buy your house. But does that benefit them? No, if that if that trend continues to go like this and continues to go down, there's no need to buy your house. Right? Even though they say You'll have nothing and be fine. There's still no value to them unless, what? You return the system back on. Now, returning the system back on does benefit them because now you're a renter versus an owner. But in between those two things, is a requirement of total financial collapse, total system collapse. Now let's play that one out. Okay? So let's say their aim is depopulation. I don't know how many of you have seen dead bodies, or multiple dead bodies, or even rotting and decaying dead bodies. Five, six, seven of them is an incredible disaster. Not just seeing the bodies, we're talking the, the pestilence, the um, all of that stuff that goes with it, right? It's massive, just with a few bodies. So now imagine they wave this wand and they want to wipe two billion of us out of it. And I know you're right. Jamie's right. When's the quote of the day? I see dead people vote. Yeah, (laughs) it's a sixth sense, isn't it? But just think about it. Massive dead bodies. 
massive dead bodies is a massive environmental and, and diseased issue. So if it was just about wiping up people and you wiped and you wiped out people in mass, a few things would happen. Yeah, it'd be a cascading effect of taking out more people because of disease and everything that comes with it. But in the facilities, the places, things, the cars, the streets, the road, the houses, the destruction it would do to those physical properties with all the dead people rotting away in it would also make those things, that real estate and that stuff, untenable. It would be almost unable to be managed. And you're right. One billion dead people would very quickly, naturally turn into two billion dead people. Which leads me to the point in trying, this is called game theory. This is called chaos theory, by the way. Game theory, chaos theory. Which means if you were going to kill people, the most effective way to do it is you're going to kill people in a system that looks natural, where the system can handle it, but just only at an increased pace because you need all of the machinations and facilities to deal with that dead corpse, right? Kind of like if you could make young people start dying of heart attacks, if you could uh, make people sterile, now, the reason I bring that up is because, and yes, like the nursing home disasters uh, during COVID and stuff, the reason, the reason I bring that up is because, see, that one you can plainly see. You can plainly see, wow, young people are dying really weird. Young people are dying with overdoses. It is in your recognition that you can now see that, that you understand, we do, folks, we do have an issue. But you also have to understand the system still needs us. Therefore, in many ways, you have to put the instant fear of instant collapse away. And so the only difference between that total ass zombie apocalypse collapse and now is what they are actually doing. And that is playing the long game. Now, let's look if somebody was playing a long game. Okay, and you're right. Now, let's just look at it economic stuff. The insurance companies right now are freaking their asses out with so many people just dying dead. Claims have gone through the roof. Bang. The second part of it is. 
you don't have to kill people when in fact you can get them to kill themselves. And you can get them to kill to kill themselves uh at a pace which is manageable. Now, that's a combination between if they can get you to do stuff to your body that compromises it, or they can get you to off yourself because you're under psychological warfare. Now, see, in those circumstances, you can dwindle the population out and you have systems structures infrastructures to deal with it but you understand that is in fact you know the term a long game that's called the long game So when you understand fully that this is happening, this is happening, but this is a long game, then I think the first thing that you can do is you can put aside really, really bad fears of mega instant collapse, right? Mega instant collapse. And they always have to play a long game. Always. They have to play a long game. So no matter what goes on, and we are in a long game, they have been playing a long game. I believe, personally, this is my thought, that... It's still a long game. We're not on a short lease, and we're not in a a short game. Okay, put a pin in that for a minute. You now know if we were looking, uh, if we were looking at our society right now, and now your eyes are open, and you know they're playing a long game on you. If all of a sudden you woke up one day, let's just play out these hypotheticals. You woke up one day and you found out, damn, they're trying to dwindle us down. They're trying to wear us out. They're putting stuff in our bodies that could potentially kill us, kill us in mass, make us sterile, make us do this. They're screwing with our heads because they want us to check out on our own. But it's a long game. Then you will understand as a warrior, Because see, when when shit hits the fan, folks, when shit hits the fan, you kick in normally into warrior mode. You're either shocked out of existence and you're one of these people that curl up into a ball in your bed anyway, or you're one of these people that wakes up and goes, fuck you, not hell no, right? Not hell no, which means you actually have the advantage 
of what's called actionable intelligence. It means you know what's happening, you know what the end game is, but you also know you have time and you don't have to get into a very, very fast panic that tomorrow the light switch is going to go out. Now, granted, it could go out for a couple of weeks or so, but it's not going to go out, out. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the reason I'm at, and this is called deconstruction and chaos. The reason I'm taking you through this deconstruction drill is because right now a game is being played with every one of us. And it's only about one thing. Surrender. See, instead of invading people on the ground and sending in troops and sending in armies, which is wildly expensive, you know, it it takes money to prosecute a war. And wars have the same problem. Number one, if there's not people generating money to fuel the government, there's not money to fuel the war. If economic collapse comes, the money means nothing. You can't prosecute a war. Can't feed your soldiers, can't run it. You understand what we're saying. It, it is all the same cause and effect. So when in reality, they need us and they have to run and operate a very, and I'm not on the radio so I can say, say this, long-term mindfuck. Now, we're just headed into Mindfuck 2.0. That's it. We've already been through Mindfuck 1.0. Now we're just moving into Mindfuck 2.0. And Mindfuck 2.0 is they must, at all cost, make you believe there is no hope that you can't change anything. You can't do a fucking thing. We're going to rig this and fuck you. Because they need you demoralized. Because they understand they cannot defeat you. But you can defeat yourself. Now, in the late 1800s, when the Communist Manifesto came out, at the time, and this come on into the 30s and the 50s, they realize, they realize that there was no way to defeat the United States of America at all. There's just no way to defeat the United States of America. Therefore, America must be defeated from within. You follow me? And the way they said this is going to happen is we've got to take over the media. This isn't the Communist Manifesto way back then. It's a strategy. Let me play this for you. Here's the reality of 
the 50s or 60s. In 1943, the following directive was issued from party headquarters to all communists in the United States. It read, when certain obstructionists become too irritating, label them after suitable buildups as fascist or Nazi or anti-Semitic and use the prestige of anti-fascist and tolerance organizations to discredit them. In the public mind, constantly associate those who oppose us with those names which already have a bad smell. The association will, after enough repetition, become fact in the public mind. I'm going to replay that for you again because it's so critical. Because I need you to understand truly where we are. I need those of you, even some like some very good friends of mine that I love dearly who have already been defeated, my goal is to show you you're not defeated. It's exactly the opposite. You have all the power. I'm going to go back to this. I'm going to play it one more time. Listen, because the two keys, I'm going to give you new ears to hear this. The two keys are labels, minds. Labels, minds. Listen again with new ears. And listen for the keywords labels and minds. In 1943, the following directive was issued from party headquarters to all communists in the United States. It read, when certain obstructionists become too irritating, label them after suitable buildups as fascist or Nazi or anti-Semitic and use the prestige of anti-fascist and tolerance organizations to discredit them. In the public mind, constantly associate those who oppose us with those names which already have a bad smell. The association will, after enough repetition, become fact in the public mind. So you now know it's about labels and minds. But you also grew up being told, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And so they had to undo a belief system in this process. That is why almost out of nowhere, our system began to teach our children that facts don't matter, feelings matter. And that somebody can call you something and that hurts as bad as a mortal wound and therefore that person must be eradicated and they must be shut down because they didn't consider your feelings. I'm only unpacking this war and how it's fought. Listen to this again, and now understand we're decades past this, many, many, many decades past this, and now combine what he's saying with the fact that the school systems, our education systems, our government systems, even laws, you can't, if you miss, if you mislabel pronoun, use their dead name, we get to find you as if it's a crime. I'm going to replay this again and now think of what they have been teaching our children about feelings. Listen again. In 1943, the following directive was issued from party headquarters to all communists in the United States. It read, when certain obstructionists become too irritating, 
label them after suitable buildups as fascist or Nazi or anti-Semitic and use the prestige of anti-fascist and tolerance organizations to discredit them. In the public mind, constantly associate those who oppose us with those names which already have a bad smell. The association will, after enough repetition, become fact in the public mind. So now you know it's a strategy, label, shame. Now you know they have taught our young adults, started about 20 years ago, feelings, feelings, feelings. That's where the height and the feelings movement, and now it's just in full swing. And so now you can get hurt by words. They've made getting hurt, wounded, uh, damaged, uh, neutralized by words. Now listen, now listen to the words of our government. The president thinks that there is an extremist threat to our democracy. Uh, the president has been clear as he can be on that particular uh, piece when we talk about a democracy, when we talk about our freedoms. Uh, the way that he sees is the MAGA Republicans are the most energized part of the Republican Party. Uh, the, that extreme, this is an extreme threat to our democracy, to our freedom, uh, to our rights. Okay, we're going to unpack that one because it's very key you understand this. Now, the key words here are they have hijacked in the minds of most all people to lead you believe, this is the long-term play, that we're a democracy. They have labeled democracy for what they want you to believe democracy is. And that's why they ignore that we are a constitutional republic. That's why they keep on working on the term democracy. Now, when you, cha when you change the meaning of these words and you teach generations and generations, democracy, 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 and it becomes the symbol of what you're fighting for, democracy, not freedom, not liberties, but democracy, subtle change. And you make everybody believe, from an educational standpoint, democracy is what it's about. And you make a society be a feelings society. Now people can be convinced you're losing democracy, what you told was the great thing, because we didn't teach you what you really were, a constitutional republic. We changed you away from the founding documents. We changed you away from the founding fathers, right? Which is why they're Jefferson's a slave owner. Let's get rid of them. You have to understand this is a plan. Everything that stands for what we really are at our heart that has made us survive a constitutional republic, that has made us the great leader of nations among nations, that has made us survive more, longer, and prosper more as people, not governments, people, is our constitutional republic over any republic throughout history. But in this change of democracy is the word, another word hijack, like racism. And they can convince you democracy is at stake 
then there's two plays that are going on here. They've taken your eye off of the ball of a constitutional republic, we the people, and they've convinced you it's about democracy. And then now because you've bought into democracy, their definition of it, you think you're losing something, so you're kind of up in arms. Because nobody wants to lose anything. Why? Because you think the reason you have all this great success around you and the reason you can be a young influencer and you've got that nice phone and you have that nice car and everything's cool and wonderful and you got the best tennis shoes is you believe it's because of democracy. And nothing motivates people more than FOMO, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. You don't want to lose anything when you're comfortable in life. You never want to become uncomfortable. So they convince you your democracy's going, your democracy's at stake when that's not what you are. And then they start using words like threats. It's going to end democracy. It's going to be a threat in your life. Now, this is a three-part approach. The first approach is to activate the wimp weenie minds that believe the democracy rhetoric as opposed to understanding we're a republic. The second part of the mind is what's called the chaffing effect, uh, the winnowing effect, right? When you're, when you're taking wheat, you got to separate the wheat from the chaff, the lighter crap, right? Because what you want is that nugget, that seed, that nut of wheat. And so in that winnowing process, shaking it up, the light shit floats away. What's going on is when they call you a threat. Now, if you've kind of come through this stuff and you've bought into the feeling stuff, oh, my bad, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry that people value apologies over facts. Oh, I'm so sorry. Did I say that? Oh, you can't say that. Oh, oh, my God, did I, did, did I say black person? Right, get it? And they, and they weaponize words, all of a sudden, you begin to get on the apology side of it. Not apologetics, that's the explanation of, not apologizing for. But you get into the apologizing for side of it, which means it weakens your resistance to these things because you feel you need to apologize. And when you've been taught, everybody must get along, everybody's equal. Everybody gets a trophy. Come by, ya, be nice. What happens in corporations, people, projects, societies, communities, is nobody wants to be seen as something that's unworthy or something that's disruptive, and certainly not as a threat. Now, if you can take those light winnowing chaff people and you can convince them, the people that are sticking to their guns are the threat, you're moving people to your side. So re-listen to her words. I told you how they labeled. They put us into things. They painted us as undesirables. Now the government's repeating it. Now you understand the government keeps on throwing that democracy word out there because they don't teach what we really are. That's part of the long-term process. Re-listen to her words and see if you really get the gist of the message. The message is to activate people they've brainwashed 
And to convince people the real enemy is not them, but the people that are sticking to their guns about being a republic, having liberties, and being free. Listen again. The president thinks that there is an extremist threat to our democracy. Uh, the president has been clear, as he can be, on that particular uh, piece when we talk about a democracy, when we talk about our freedoms. Uh, the way that he sees is the MAGA Republicans are the most energized part of the Republican Party. Uh, the, that extreme, this is an extreme threat to our democracy, to our freedom, uh, to our rights. Okay. There is a conflict when you really establish it between what's called freedom and rights. God made us all free. We have free will. We are free men. And if the fact that I said men and you went, well, what about women? You've already got shit in your mind. It's just a term. We are already free men. That's how the poison creeps in. But did you understand she said rights? Now, rights is the antithesis of freedom. See, freedom assumes you have freedom. Therefore, your rights are yours. Rights is something assigned to you by government. I will give you the right to drive that car if you will pay this fee. I will give you the right to drive that car if you will do this standard and pay this fee. I will give you the right to own that home and call it your property, but to get that right to call it your property as a homeowner, you're going to continue to pay these taxes. To give you these rights we give you of driving on a street having electricity and this stuff, which you're still going to pay for. You got to pay for these taxes. Those is what gets you your rights. Understand the difference? Let's listen to her again. The president thinks that there is an extremist threat to our democracy. Uh, the president has been clear, as he can be, on that particular uh, piece when we talk about a democracy, when we talk about our freedoms. Uh, the way that he sees is the MAGA Republicans are the most energized part of the Republican Party. Uh, the, that extreme, this is an extreme threat to our democracy, to our freedom, uh, to our rights. Okay. Every single word that comes out of any administration's mouth is, is thought out and on target, on message, and on plan. It is why you can watch a news network, and the news networks are repeating the same garbage over and over in repetition. Because the war, which they cannot afford to fight, is people that are awake, not woke, that are awake, and understand, wait a minute, it's us that have the power. They can't afford to really fight that war. It cannot be prosecuted. It is cheaper to fight for your mind. Now, they were able to fight for your mind because they control the media. And we have been taught you get your information where? From the media. 
We have been taught that those that know the truth are the media. We have been taught that those that dig for the truth are the media. Now, we've been given a gift. We understand the media's full of shit. Now you understand we're in a psychological war. I want to play something for you real quick. I think I have the right one. This version, I, and I, I won't know until I click play. This version of the Star Spangled Banner gets me going. Because it's this version, this sound, this cadence of this song written long ago, right? The Star Spangled Banner in a time of war, and I believe we are in a time of war right now, a digital war. This version of this song reminds me of what we're fighting for and what we are as modern warriors. Let me see if I have the right one. Can you see by the 
That's called Madison Rising. They're phenomenal. I've seen people, Madison Rising did that at a baseball game one time. As we were headed into this war at the moment. And people didn't know what to do because they were so used to that tradition of the original Star Spangled Banner, have we've always sang it. This is one instance where I do believe things evolve. That song in that version, and I'll find the other better ones for you and play them at different times. is where we are because we have to rock this out if we're going to knock this out. We have to feel like standing in our strength if we're going to win this. And we have to understand this is a different war. And so everything we've always done, just like the reason I changed audits and created new technology, everything we've always done won't work if we keep on doing it the same way. We have to realize we live in a different time and a different era, although the foundations are still there. It is true we have to adapt, and that is why I spent so much time today, and I could keep on going. I just want you to understand what's going on. What you see going on in Arizona is a, is a game for your mind. They have trapped us, folks. Whether you know it or not, they have captured our country because they have disconnected us from who we are. They have disconnected us from what we really stand for. They have disconnected us from what matters. And I'm telling you, It is our freedoms and liberties that matter. It is our faith in God and that we can do this and that we're the answer, we're the cure, we're the army. That is the dangerous weapon that they are afraid of. Patriotism is great and wonderful. That's why I always begin with that wonderful peace. But I'm telling you now, we have the upper hand if you just open your eyes. We have the upper hand if you just realize it's always been a battle for your mind. And just like anything else, when you're free, when you finally realize you're free, you just want to get up and dance and fucking rock it out because you realize Damn it, I'm free. I want to let you know. Damn it, we're free. This is a mind game. 
They're playing mind games with us in Arizona. They're only testing the waters to see how we will respond. This is not about democracy. This is about freedom and liberty. This is not about rights, because before we get rights from those people who make laws, we put those people in, and we have not been expecting the people we've put in who are imposing their rights on us, what they think is right on us. Think very hard on these words. Do not despair. They need us. They need us to surrender. They need us to keep on being earning battery units. Yeah, they want to dwindle us down. You see it, you know it. It's not going to happen overnight. It still will take time. I just want you to remember, never, ever, no matter what, surrender. Don't give up your life your liberties, your freedom, just because they fucked with your mind. Your eyes are now open. You know what's going on. You must embrace it and accept it, and that's why you must become a digital warrior to fight this. You have to help other minds understand what's going on. And if you will just take the time to help other minds understand what's going on, Your only job is to wake people up and for all of us to stand shoulder to shoulder. That's it. It is time for us to tell them we're not going to take this shit and fuck with their minds back by just standing strong. Most people are afraid to stand up and speak out, but not you. You've been learning how to tell the system to cut the crap. What can I do to help save the America I love? And the answer is, learn how to fight back and tell the system to cut the crap. Cut the crap's not just a radio program, it's a movement. The right kind of movement, which breaks free the conservative constipation and reminds you that you are the majority, and we're just not going to take it anymore. Make sure you're following Joe Von Hunt and Pulitzer on all social media. See you next week, and between now and then, take a stand and tell them all to cut the crap. We've got all the right in the world on our side, and there ain't no reason to be afraid. And there ain't no reason to not take the challenge dead on, because I'm going to tell you who we come from, folks. We don't come from some weak, jellyback, spineless people. That's not who we come from. None of us. And it doesn't matter what color you are, what nation your folks hail from, how much money you got. We all share the same name. We are Americans. And at Bunker Hill, there was Americans. And at Fredericksburg and Gettysburg, there was Americans. And at Iwo Jima, raising that flag on Sarabachi, it was Americans. And at Porkchop Hill, there was Americans. Quezon, there was Americans. And on 9-11, there was Americans who ran towards those burning buildings. That is who you share your heritage with. You do not share your heritage with a weak and ineffective people who cower at the side of trouble. You share your heritage with a strong and brave people who are determined to hold on to their freedom and for the freedom of future generations. 
Guys, it's time for us to stand up and be that generation. It's time for us to stand strong and proud and remember who we are. That we are Americans. And as long as we stand as the vanguard of freedom in this nation, freedom will survive. Not only survive, but So guys, it's time to put on a packs. It's time to fix those bayonets. It's time to get ready. We got a fight on our hands. And our fight is not for us. For all those generations that's going to come behind us. Let's save America, folks. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Twice. 